telling me maybe a little bit about what life has been like since you studied here in the United States. Yeah, well, thank you for having me here. It's mm -hmm. really an honor and I'm really excited. Um, yeah, I um, before actually I moved here mm -hmm. uh, to New York, I was living in Shanghai mm -hmm. and right at the time I moved to New York, they initiated the first mental health law in China, which I was very interested about and which sort of brought me back to China after moving back to Europe and starting research there in medical science at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to find a way back to Shanghai and uh, started mm -hmm. a project on um, perinatal mental health in urban cities in China. Perinatal mental health in, in urban cities, mm -hmm. in, in the particular city was Shanghai. Exactly. And the reason why it's urban cities um, is because China is so diverse. The urban and the rural areas are very, very different. So mm -hmm. focusing on the urban part instead of starting somewhere. You had to start somewhere. I was about yeah. to ask you why urban versus the rural um, Urban was the available space. Yeah, and also Shanghai is sort of the flagship where uh, where they start projects in terms of new initiations of policies. Mm -hmm. uh, the um, Chinese health authorities have given sort of Shanghai the authority to start with a project to implement um, new approaches for healthcare mm -hmm. and that's why I think it's interesting to do research there mm -hmm. which then can be ex hopefully expanded to right. other so parts. So if you, if you start in, in, in an area like Shanghai the results, um, the prestige of doing it in that city could probably then more easily trickle to other other places and generalize yeah. to other places. Exactly and also Shanghai is rather international and um, it's a little easier to get about um, as a Western person and it's also happened to be that I had some contacts mm -hmm. in Shanghai that I could use and elaborate the collaboration. Mm -hmm. Okay and so tell us how the project started and how it's proceeding. So the project started me being very interested in um, what the impact had of the shift of the child policy. 2015, China released their two-child policy. And since I sort of followed after, after moving away mm -hmm. what happened in mm -hmm. Shanghai or in China in general, mm -hmm. I, I sort of thought like this, is, this must be very interesting. Mm -hmm. I so want to... Can you say a little bit about the two-child policy? Of course. I don't think most, most Americans actually don't know that China had a policy about the number of children you're allowed to have in China. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Um, so China had for over 30 years a policy that you were only allowed to have one child. And that policy has been very, very rigid in the ur um, rural areas of China. Mm -hmm. It has been a little better in the cities, but it had been like punishments if you had a second child or a third child. You could lose your job, you could lose mm -hmm. forced abortions and so on. And so it was been really dramatic. And mm. then um, due to the fact that they have not enough young people to contribute to the uh, GDP, they opened up the policy to have more than one child. Mm. And I thought it would be very interesting to see what 
what that means for a generation that has not been able mm -hmm. to even imagine having a second child. I can imagine there's a lot of potential research that can come come out of studying that population, but you um, focused on perinatal um, mental health. Mental health. Actually, initially, I was very interested in whether these people considered actually having a second child like what were their thoughts like did they actually want to have a second child what were factors that contributed to them having a, a second child or mm -hmm. deciding not to and sort of exploring that in the time of change because mm -hmm. i thought when it, it will be established that people are getting used to having two children that's mm -hmm. a different story but i can imagine that would take a few generations yeah to, to get used to that because you have a generation that has grown up on the one child policy mm -hmm. and severe penalties for having more than one child and now all of a sudden you're allowed to have two children yeah and actually what they've seen which is quite interesting and they have not expected that as they meaning the government mm -hmm. that they have a decrease rather than an increase in children being born so it's counterintuitive. So people really were not like, yes, now we can have two children. <clears throat> so we have two. Mm -hmm. It's rather they're not even thinking about having one. Wow. So you finally get the opportunity to have more children, as many children as you want. And now we're actually not as many as you want. Not you as can have two. Well, it's still restricted. That's, so. that's restrictive. But, yeah. you know, going from one to two, that's a, what is that? A hundred percent increase? Yeah. <laughs> And exactly. so there's a, a freedom that didn't exist before yeah. and a, um, a decrease. That'd be interesting yeah. to study as well. Exactly, yeah. And like, what are the factors that contribute to why, mm -hmm. why it's a decrease mm -hmm. rather than an increase? All right. So it, it's interesting as we talk about it, you know, just thinking about the, the change in, in the law, the change in the policy, change in the society, and how that spawns right now a bunch of different ideas as to what we can explore. But you've been exploring exactly. something. Yeah, I've been exploring um, both healthcare professionals, uh, policymakers, and perception on um, perinatal mental health, mm -hmm. or actually mental health in general, because um, in China, mental health is not really talked about. Mm -hmm. And um, that is for many different reasons. Um, one of the reasons that obviously is not at all talked about in China is, is the, the cultural revolution and the trauma from, from the cultural revolution. That is like a, a collective trauma that obviously has brought a lot of issues to the society in particular in mental health mm -hmm. and also um, the fact that they were using mental health disorders, sort of fake ones, yeah, your neighbor is crazy, uh, and then they, this person could be locked up in a in a in a mental health hospital. Mm -hmm. um, that that sort of fear of 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 being exposed as as somebody who has mental health problems is is there. So there is a huge. Uh, treatment gap, meaning there is very little people seeking help for their mental health problems mm -hmm. or disorders. So yeah. actually in, in global terms, China yeah. has the biggest gap between people who need care 
and people who access care. So it's only a little more than 1% of the people with... 1%. Yeah. I've heard numbers in the United States that maybe only a third of the population that needs mental health treatment goes and gets it. Yeah. And, and you're saying that 1% of the population that needs it in China is getting it. Yeah. That's a huge gap. And those who get it, what do they get? They can see a psychiatrist that sees another 99 people next to you a day. And these people have a very, very narrow education. They only are trained about severe mental health disorders such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorders, but not really about common mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. And also the treatment for common mental health disorders is very, very sparse. Is, ma is many more resources for, for the, or many more, just the resources that are there mm -hmm. are in ho inpatient hospitals mm -hmm. for people with severe mental disor health disorders mm -hmm. and almost no um, hospitals or outpatient clinics. Okay, so, so the resources that are available are, are mainly available for the very severe. Yeah. Um, and the number of practitioners out there is also very, a small very number. Small. Very, very small. So the no. ratio of healthcare provider to person in need is, is, a, is a very skewed one. So meaning it's very. like 99 people to one psychiatrist. Now that's probably... Actually, it's even worse. It's worse So um, when I was there um, talking to people at the, the one hospital in Shanghai for mental health disorders. Oh, the one. Thinking about 25 million people living in that city. 25 million. Yes. One and hospital. that is even a good place to be having some kind of health problem mm -hmm. because it's the most well-developed area of, of all China. They have 10 child trained child psychiatrists for 25 million people. Just sort of the numbers are wow, just... 25 million. Yeah. And there's just 10. And that's that a, is... That's one for every 2.5 million. So... Right. Yeah, treatment gap is really a big mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. And so I was really inspired by a work of a guy called Vikram Patel. He's a professor at um, Harvard and he has written a book, uh, among other things, that is called Where There Is No Psychiatrist, working with um, more community-based care for for people with mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. And um, I first, before being able to actually do something about mm -hmm. where there's no psychiatrist, mm -hmm. I wanted to um, see like, what is the perception of the people, the, the care professionals, the, the people who meet women um, during their pregnancy and the postpartum period about mm -hmm. their understanding of mental health. Mm -hmm. and. Because there is so little training and because it's so stigmatized mm -hmm. and um, because of the Chinese culture of not really uh, looking at mental health in a, as, a, as, a, as a disorder that is, out, that is not simply just a physical one, mm -hmm. um, the difference between perinatal, like pregnancy, postpartum period and mental health in general, um, such as 
um, anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And the more severe disorders such as bipolar, schizophrenia, is very blurred. So people that I've interviewed, um, healthcare professionals, mm -hmm. they couldn't really distinguish between severe mental disorders, um, mental health in general, and then this specific area that I'm interested in looking at, which mm -hmm. is the pregnancy and the postpartum period. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was an interesting encounter because thinking about like where where do they stand and what does it help if I come and talk a lot about perinatal mental health and they don't even know what this or mm -hmm. they, they never well, encountered. What this. do you attribute or what can you attribute to that um, lack of ability to distinguish between the different levels? I think it's mostly lack of awareness, mm -hmm. lack of training. Um, the concept when you actually then talk a little more in detail about it, they did have some case examples that they encountered. They just simply didn't really know what this actually meant mm -hmm. and how many women there actually are suffering from it. Mm -hmm. It's also mm -hmm. just they have so no the time. The professional awareness um, training experience is very limited um, yeah. and, and that's the population larger than you know um, many nations um, yes. in just one city yeah um, interesting and and I think so from their from, from their feedback they were aware that um, what would help would be to train people more to have more resources available so the the idea is how to improve the status quo mm -hmm. was really good they really knew what what was needed, yet where is the where the resources coming from? Resources in terms of funding. Yeah, where is who who will pay for who will, for for more professionals? Mm -hmm. Who will train those professionals as well? Because there is nobody that has the this experience really, mm -hmm. because there is no education for psychologists at all. And the psychiatrists have this, as I mentioned before, very limited training in, in more severe disorders that also show physical symptoms, which is why I think they, it's easier to talk about those because you can actually see something. Right. Yeah. So the, those those ten psychiatrists for twenty five million people for the children. That's children. but it's not that many more for for adults either. I see. Yeah. Maybe another fifteen or something. <laughs> yeah. Probably at most. So. Where are they getting trained? Where are these psychiatrists? Are they getting them in um, American universities? No, or? they get trained in, in China. In China. But it's also a very low prestigious um, special specialty mm -hmm. because it's so stigmatized with mental health No one in wants China. to go into that area. Nobody wants to go in there. It's not very well paid and you have to see so many patients. And the patients obviously aren't the nicest people either because mm -hmm. they are very severe disorders. Mm -hmm. so and they often don't have a lot of money, so yeah. the resources don't come from there either. Exactly. In some ways it sounds similar to some of the dilemmas we face here in this country where um, um, the, the resources to pay for the mental yield generally coming from the government. Um, big Pharma is not doing that unless they're being able to benefit from the, the you know, medications that people mm. are taking. Exactly. Um, great. Can you tell me a little bit more about this study and how it's going? 
Yeah, so um, it's it's going pretty well. Um, it's it, since um, I've always also been able to interview some uh, women mm -hmm. that were pregnant or had a child already, and about their experience. And I think that was actually very very rich data to to get. Mm -hmm. And I've um, been surprised, positively surprised, how open these women were to share their stories. And all of these women that I've interviewed, it was six, 18 women, um, 16 I've included in a study mm -hmm. and analyzed their, their interviews. And all of these 16, except for, for um, quite a few actually, uh, except for one, mm -hmm. were very um, psychologically minded. They were really um, able to explain how they felt during their pregnancy or also during their postpartum period. Um, they could also relate to others that felt the same and gave really um, uh, accurate, spot on ex examples for, for, for so depression. So you got some very uh, genuine deep narratives very very and i was really I, I didn't expect that due to the stigma to to being worried that um somebody might even you know if you speak too openly about the, the being critical about the government that is actually have mm -hmm. can have very severe negative consequences so but it felt that they were so happy to be able to share their story mm -hmm. so one of them actually said, you know, I feel so, so lonely and I really am grateful to be able to share my story. Mm -hmm. And I was really touched because mm -hmm. um, that that story was about her experience going through the one child policy and deciding to have a second child and actually a third and being so worried about losing the job maybe not even being able to to keep the baby mm -hmm. um, her husband losing the job so having nightmares and and mm -hmm. and worries and also what what generally um, happens when they have that third baby so Shanghai is quite liberal so they don't really um, care too much mm -hmm. the health comes first is what actually this woman dis described. Um, but in the rural areas, um, it it was the case that you, they forced you to abortion up to seven until seven months. Wow. Uh, or also give away your child to an orphanage or um, simply um, punish the parents to pay a huge fine that mm -hmm. they usually wouldn't even be able to really afford. Mm -hmm. Um, and and also not being able to get a promotion in your job and so it's just simp like everyday life penalizing right. these people. Yeah, which can take a toll and be quite significant and 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 quite a punishment. Yeah. Wow. And you mentioned before about getting them to open up and share their story. Um, first, what language were you conducting these interviews in? Very good question. So for the for the health professionals, I was talking um, in English with them. So that was like an inclusion criteria because I thought there it wasn't that important that they were able to speak in Chinese and s since it was more a sort of a professional interview. Mm -hmm. 
But with the women, I um, had a translator for the interviews, mm -hmm. but some of the women decided to speak in English, so I had no, no need for a translator. To say these women were all well-educated, mm -hmm. but thinking about the treatment gap being so big and only 1% of the population getting access to care, it doesn't really matter if they're well-educated. It's still only 1% getting the, the mm -hmm. care anyway, so, mm -hmm. um, so it's, yeah. Um, was it a structured interview? Uh, it was semi-structured, so mm -hmm. they could, like, with follow-up questions, expand to really freely. They were mm -hmm. mostly guiding the, their own um, story and narrative. Um, I, I'm just wondering what kind of question you would have asked in any language, but often, you know, things are lost in translation. But to get someone to open up and start to share their narrative, what kind of questions did you ask? Um, I asked first um, to to be able if they could describe what it meant to be mentally unhealthy, like be feeling um, sad or, mm -hmm. um, and then they would talk about that, like, mm -hmm. and then sh if they knew somebody who had experienced that, mm -hmm. to sort of not address it would straight they, to themselves. Would they use the term mentally unhealthy or? Uh, they were using more like um, I felt um, angry. Anger okay. was a big topic. Yeah. Um, but also depression. They na named that as a, named like a, a or anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I'm just you know wondering yeah. from a, a language perspective also. You know, Generally, uh, you can ask a person what's wrong, mm. or you can say to them, you know, I'm wondering how you're feeling. Mm. And in that latter, it's a little, it's a little bit more of an open-ended way exactly. of getting a story or a narrative from them. The 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 thing about feelings is is a is a bit difficult with Chinese because they don't really talk about feelings. Yeah. So if he, if I would have asked too much on the feeling part. I'm not sure if they would have opened up in the same way because right. they might have not had the vocabulary to describe like oh I feel so upset and mm -hmm. sad or or anxious. Um, so asking about mental stability or wellness yeah. got more of a narrative than yeah. how do you feel would have gotten. Yeah, and also asking them to describe somebody else. So they wouldn't have to talk about themselves, but rather, do you know somebody? Uh, and then they would tell, oh, a friend. Right. But very quickly, actually came back to talk about themselves. Mm, of course, of course, very, yeah. very clever. Mm, yeah, well, I, I was <laughs> not really, I wasn't really sometimes intended to do mm -hmm. things. It, w it felt very natural. Yeah, and that's actually naturally what happens is, um, you know, we, we often ask people to talk about some external experience and what they remember, how they remember it, how they internalize it, what the symbols they use, what they recall, ends up being very much illustrative of what they feel. Yeah. And so many times they go, I remember somebody, you know, I felt that way too. And they shift into that. Mm. And then you've got them. Tell me more about that. Oh. Um, I'm looking at my counter here. But that's about all we have time for to record. Um, I've got another 11 minutes. Anything else you wanted to go into? I think I would love to go into what they uh, shared was the reason why they felt 
um, depressed or okay. um, mentally unhealthy during the, the perinatal period, which I think is really interesting and a, a very culturally specific thing. Of course, it's also a thing in other countries, but not as ex in that extent, I would say. So in um, these women, they were sharing that um, what they considered being a cause for their mental health disorder during their pregnancy and postpartum period was their mother-in-law. And that is actually like a cultural thing in nutshell, because mm -hmm. in China, after giving birth, the parents-in-law move in with the, with the new couple. And these parents-in-law might come from the countryside and have very different um, perception of parenting, perception of, of any, literally two worlds coming together and living in a very limited space because Shanghai is very expensive. So this causes a lot, a lot of tension. And research has also shown that people who have their in-laws at home, that there the, the perinatal depression has increased. Mm. And um, of course, we, we know about the, that figure of, of the mother-in-law from Snow White, from other, from fairy tales, mm -hmm. but it's really, really a, a extreme situation in China. And just, just the presence of in-laws in increases yeah. statistically the chances of perinatal depression. Yeah, because there is a lot of tension. And in China, the family is so core it's not like in in the Western societies where you live independently. Mm -hmm. You you really have it's a, it's to. It's not an option. It, no, and it's also the case that you have to um, provide for you for the elderly for financially. They have no pension, so that's also why Chinese families really really favored a, a son, because then you could sort of survive because you're daughter-in-law would move in rather than your daughter would move away and you're left behind with with nobody looking after you when you get old. Mm -hmm. So, um, and with this one-child policy, you have only one child, then you want to have a boy. And um, that is another layer of a huge yes. um, problem in China. But mm -hmm. um, these parents-in-law and also the parents there's so many eyes on on the on the one child and now they get the these one child policy kids get their own kids but they never really grow up they're still like kids when they when they get a child and the grandparents take care of the child and that's a traditional thing in china that to do but i was wondering whether the fact that they are from this one child generation and we're only allowed to have one only child that they almost see their grandchild as their second child they never were allowed to have mm -hmm. and so maybe one reason why they're so engaged in that grandchild mm -hmm. but what does it mean for that one child policy kid that has now to share all the attention and love attention. with their yeah with a new baby. Wow, expanding the mind. This, this area is, is, is ripe for um, research and better understanding of the effects. 
Um, and I think we're going to you know, see a lot of effects, a lot of rippling effects. I know we see in this country an increased amount of stress around step family or fam family in-laws being around more judgment, more intervention, um, more room for conflict, multiple worlds coming together. Right. So I, I can see how, especially if that increased stress can lead to increased incidence of depression. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, can you tell me just a little bit, I've got a few minutes left, mm -hmm. a, a little bit about the Karolina Institute? Yeah, the Karolinska Institute is... Uh, Karolinska Institute, yeah. even better. Um, it's, um, it's a medical, hospital, uh, medical university, and um, it's situated in Stockholm, the capital of um, Sweden, and it's world famous for its um, place for the Nobel Prize um, in medicine and um, physics and chemistry so mm -hmm. every year um, a body of people uh, professors uh, from Karolinska Institute and the Royal Academy of Science is um, selecting a Nobel Prize winner and um, that's been done in Stockholm mm -hmm. and um, Karolinska Institute selects the Nobel Prize winner in yeah. medicine so that's why it's it's quite a quite a nice place to to do research to mm -hmm. be there actually able to go and listen to the Nobel Prize um, winners talks they have a lecture um, before before the um, ceremony um, at Karolinska Institute every year and um, students from all the universities in Sweden but um, especially the ones from Karolinska Institute can be involved in the Nobel um, Gala and also win tickets for the Nobel Prize um, Gala and I was a lucky a lucky person to actually have been a winner of, of these tickets so I was um, at the oh. Gala this year uh, or last year actually so mm -hmm. I've seen um, two women present um, their their prices, which was really a nice experience. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, a, that's an amazing, uh, amazing place to then be in. Yeah, it's a very, um, I think it's a very good place for young researchers to start their career because of the, the name of the institute as a good, like, stepping, mm -hmm. stepping um, mm -hmm. Place for yeah. for for hopefully career in medical science, and I think especially mm -hmm. for women, this is a nice opportunity to have like that sort of mm -hmm. brand around around your your. And, and is career. that no? Is your step and your stepping stone for you? A lot of possibilities. What do you think it's going to be your prediction right now? Well, I really hope that my home country which is the the chocolate country the the switzerland um <laughs> will, with the will appreciate this this um research i've done and support research my research career um in a way um that i can go and explore further um the project in shanghai and then hopefully take that knowledge and experience back and sort of start a global project from Switzerland where you know all these international organizations 
global organizations have their headquarters. I think it would make sense to work uh, from there. And you're thinking uh, big. I like that. So we're going to see some, you know, hopefully big things. We're definitely going to see some big things from you. Thank you for hope. coming in. Thank you for and, taking. Uh, next time you're in New York, let's meet up again and talk about what you're doing. Yeah, All I'd right. love to. Thank you so much. It was really an amazing experience. Thank you. Cool. Thanks.